Thanks, everybody. Well, good morning. How are we, church family? Oh, come on. Let's do this. Good morning, church family. There we go. Now we're talking. Yeah, it's funny how the Lord will start preparing you a year and then give you like nine minutes before you have to actually give the message. But as we go through today, you'll see why this message is so, so important to that thought. And sometimes in life, we get a lot of time to prepare. And sometimes in life, we just have to be obedient. Right? Amen? Good. So this morning, the message is, the name of it, if you're taking notes, is Praying for Magic. Okay? Praying for Magic. And I think everyone in here would, would agree that we all like a little magic in our life, right? A little, a little surprise and a little, a little glitz and a little glam every once in a while. Something serendipitous that shows up out of nowhere and surprises us and just makes life a little bit special. Everyone agree? Amen? Unfortunately, what's happened is that we have uh, um, groups like Disney and, and Pixar who have, who have taken magic, um, something that has been used as a tool by the enemy and made it palatable, has made it, given us an appetite for it, and made it so that the cookies are on the bottom shelf. Our kids grow up watching, um, you know, the, the Disneys and the princesses and everything's magical and everything's good, and that's wonderful, but we have to be careful because at times what we begin to do is think that magic is what's going to solve our problem, okay? Because that's usually in the story how it goes, right? There's a, there's a good guy, there's a bad guy, and they're going through this story, and there's these problems, and there's always either a, um, a fairy godmother or, or some character or some you know, portion of the story that's going to fix the problem with magic. And we can, as believers, we can begin to be tricked illusioned, if you will, into the idea that all of our problems would go away if we just had a little bit of magic. So what do we do? We start praying for magic. And that's where I want to begin today. There was a, um, there was a, uh, uh, this was a couple years ago, we were out with some friends, um, Sean and Christy Bailey, and if they ever watch this, Hey guys, they moved away. They, they now live in, um, in Nashville or, or near Nashville in Tennessee. And um, we still hold a grudge because they left us, but that's okay. But we were out with them in Colorado and we were at a, um, a pizza joint called Barilio Brothers. And all of our kids were young. And so they were sitting around and we were having a great time. We love the Baileys and everything. Just, you know, lots of conversation, lots of good fellowship going on. But having little kids in a restaurant, they start to, you know, they, they, they start good and then they kind of like unwind as the evening goes on, right? Um, and as you'll find out for the next three hours, I'm pretty good at talking. So, yeah, you thought, yeah, you thought preparing for a year was a good thing. <laughs> um, but but we're, in the, we're in the restaurant and as the kids start getting unruly, I, I start doing all these little parlor, you know, pizza house, you know, salt shakers disappearing, and you have the pen, and you make it disappear, and you, you know, stick your finger and, and do all these things, and all of a sudden, the kids became very enraptured 
in what I was doing, and it was a lot of fun until I ran out of magic tricks. So they were there, and they were sitting there, and they were calm, and everything was good. The, 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 the sort of the, the, the running around and the energy was, was um, had, they had settled down, but as soon as the magic disappeared, they went back to being all wound up, and the evening was over. And that struck me because magic has a funny way of being a good distraction, but it does no lasting fulfillment. I can cure a problem with a little bit of magic, but it's never going to take the place of the true fulfillment or true purpose that we have in our lives. Amen? So magic makes us feel powerful, but it is only an illusion. Yes, that's a magic joke. People in their lives use all kinds of things for magic. They use all kinds of magic. Everyone's done it. I've done it. I'm guilty of it. Okay? We use money as our magic. We strive for it. We earn it. We get it. We save it. We invest. And then we magically can buy stuff or get food or buy a house or make people like us, or whatever that thing is, whatever that problem that we see, we can use money as our magic, okay? And money is probably the easiest one to point at, but there are other things in our life that we use as magic. Relationships. I'm lonely, abracadabra, Poof, this relationship that we know isn't good for us or that is inappropriate in some way and magically our loneliness goes away but because it's not ordained by the Lord that, will not, that fulfillment will not last. It's an illusion and when the magic's gone the anxiety comes back. Materialism. Things. Stuff. I want to look good, feel good, whatever. Now, just so we're all clear, in this room today, I did not pack this suit, okay? <laughs> My beautiful wife said, um, she, uh, we were getting ready in, in, at home, and, and I said, uh, she, she put the suit in the suitcase, and I was like, really, a suit? And she's like, yeah. I was like, okay, it seemed, I mean, let me honestly, I'd, I'd be in like flip-flops in the back, you know what I'm saying? I'd be real casual. So this morning, I'm getting ready, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to say, and praying, and and I, I, I'm getting ready, and I really was like, I was like, how did you know? And she's like, I'm Amy. I was like, that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> but materialism, we want to look good. We want to smell good. We want to feel good. We want to drive fast. We want to do all these things. So we go out, and we fill our lives with a little bit of magic. It's the cars, the houses, the accoutrements, the toys, the things, the fun. And next thing you know, when the car breaks down and needs a little maintenance and the house starts degrading, the magic's gone and all those problems return. Drugs and alcohol are about the, the next easiest ones to point at because they will completely, talk about an illusion, they will take your mind, they will take you to faraway places, they will relieve all your pain but when the magic's gone, that pain comes back tenfold. That pain comes back and it brings friends. Right? So in life, we 
we, we want that magic, and there's nothing wrong with that. We just have to understand what that desire is asking for. So when my wife was pregnant, um, we would, there were, like everybody, there were cravings, but it was really interesting because we found out from the doctor that those cravings, especially when you're pregnant, are the, the mother's body telling her what she wants or needs to grow the baby. So that's why it's like pickles and ice cream. There may be like some sodium and some sugar needed or whatever it is, because that's what the appetite is. The appetite is there because it's asking for something specific. And what we need to do is stop praying for magic and start praying for presence. That's the appetite. And that's what we're going to dive in today. I'm going to read a little scripture here. I have a few more minutes, so I'm going to read through the book of Leviticus. No, I'm just kidding. But the believers who were scattered, let's, uh, sorry, we're in Acts 8, 4 through 25. Acts 8, 4 through 25, if you want to turn there or use your devices or whatever it might be. Got a few scriptures here, so I'll read through them quickly. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news, and I'm uh, reading from the New Living Translation for the purposes of today. The believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. And crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And a man named Simon had been a sorcerer for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke, to him, spoke of him as the great one and power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles Philip performed. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit had, was given, when the apostles laid their hands on the people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power, too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part of this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. And after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. It's interesting to me that here was a man with a huge Instagram, a large Twitter following, and they all wanted to see magic. See, nothing changes. And the Song of Solomon talks about there's nothing new under the sun. This is not new. This, is, this has been happening forever, for all of time. In fact, let's go back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden. 
And what I want to, want to talk today, my main thought that we're going to speak of, is that God's presence is true power. God's presence is true power. Many times when we pray, we want the magic, the miracle, the transaction, when what we need is his presence. The things we want from God begin replacing our relationship with God, and if we just say the magic words the right way, we can get what we want. So many times, we can let our prayer life get to a point where we, what we want from God, the things that we want from God supersede our desire just to be with him. He's not, the, the, the vending machine, the transaction mentality is what the Lord was showing me. Hey, son, I'm not, this isn't, I'm, this isn't a transaction. Now, my son's sitting right over here, right here by his mom. I would give him anything. If he needed it, he could ask me for the rest of his life, and I'm going to give it to him. But what I want is my time with him. What I want is for him just to be with me, and all those other things come as a result of our relationship, come as a result, him being disciplined, him raising, being a man, him learning, him growing, him becoming the person that God wants him to be is not going to happen because he asked me and I'm going to give him things, I'm going to provide magic into his life. It comes because we spend time together. So what we see all throughout Scripture, and what I hope, God help me today, if we can see that in all of Scripture, all God wants to do is to be present with us, it will change everything. It will change our day-to-day, -day, it will change our decisions, it will change how we think, how we speak, and how we do things. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, Scripture talks about him walking in the garden, with Adam. The garden, paradise, the very thing that God created was intended for us to be able to just spend time in the presence of God. Completely naked, completely exposed, just a complete and total transparent relationship with our Creator. And it's so fascinating to me that when Adam sinned, how did God respond? Where are you? He was separated. You're not with somebody if you're asking them, where are you? When you're calling them and they're standing, you don't call them and they're standing in front of you and you're like, hey, where are you? Like, I'm right here. We're together. Now, there are some millennials who will text each other across the table. I've seen that happen before. But on a day-to-day, -day, you don't call someone who's standing in front of you that you're with and that you're in a relationship with and you say, where are you? You call someone who's far away, who's distant, who's no longer in your presence, and you say, where are you? And then, of course, the separation, he had to leave, Adam and Eve had to leave the garden for their sin. Noah walked with God, and scripture says this uh, is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. When God was so angry at all of mankind that he, all he wanted to do was destroy them, and he sought, is there one, and he found one man blameless. 
And what did he do? Did he, from, from the heavens and, and tap him with a golden scepter and say, you are the blessed one, I'm going to rain everything down. No, he went down and he was walking with him and talking with him and fellowshipping with him. And that presence ultimately led to the salvation of all mankind as then the earth was destroyed except for Noah and his family. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This one's... This is an amazing story, and if we see it and if we catch it, because I feel like today there are so many who are in their fire. Are you in a fire today? Is it hot? Is it you're, you're, you don't know how to get out? Is there trouble? Don't worry. Just like as with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when King Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and he said, there are three men walking around and a fourth that looks as the Son of God in your fire He's not just going to not cause you to not be burned. He's going to be in the fire with you. He will be present. He will be walking with you. And that salvation, when you walk out of that furnace, when you walk out of that problem, you don't need magic. You don't need a parlor trick. You need presence. You need the fourth as the son of man walking around with you in that fire. And when you walk out, your clothes won't even smell a smoke. Hallelujah. Now keep in mind, being in the presence of the Lord, as we go through Scripture time and time again, we see God being present. But you can also leave his presence. You can also, he might leave, as is in the case with Samson. With Samson, he had gone through and he had a relationship, a little bit of magic. Delilah, I can only assume, was super hot. And he was an idiot. Have you ever read the book? Ever read the story of Samson? He's like, uh, what's going on? She's like, well, tell me how you, why you're so strong. And he's like, mm, tie me up. And he falls asleep and he wakes up, he's tied up, and he's like, I breaks loose. That would have, should have been like a sign, Samson. Like, you say one thing and then the next morning you're tied up. But he wanted whatever magic it was. And I make light of it, but I'm actually pretty serious. He was using that relationship as magic. And it was as undoing. And what ends up happening is we see at the very last, when he finally gave in, when it got a hold of him, then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. And when he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. Sometimes we can get to a point in our lives where magic is all we have left because the presence of the Lord has left us. And then sometimes, as is the case with our enemy, Satan, he chose to leave the presence. There were three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. One's a warrior, One's a communicator, and one's a worship leader. We see all throughout Scripture how these three archangels, and the Bible is very specific to make sure that they identify that these were special angels. But we see throughout Scripture these angels delivering messages or fighting battles on our behalf. What we don't hear a lot about is that Lucifer was a musician, and he was responsible for the passage of worship to come up through heaven 
and as the archangel, he would deliver it to the throne room of God. And one day, he decided to keep a little worship for himself. No longer was God getting the full worship, but he wanted it for himself. And as he kept that, and as it grew, what ended up happening was God said, no, I am. And that was it. And he cast Satan and those who would follow out of his presence. And his name changed to Satan. We also see another man, though, who was persecuting the church, who was already there. And a moment in the presence of the Lord knocked him off his donkey. I've been waiting a year to say that, folks. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Knocked him off his donkey, and he wrote the New Testament, most of it. The presence changes everything. So let's talk about the one that we're all here for today, Jesus Christ. This if we catch this, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm working on it. It was so important to, for me today to get this out there as a part of our process to understand the true presence of God. But Jesus is the ultimate manifestation of God's presence to us, and it's ending in our eternal redemption forever. And as we walk through the life of Jesus, we see in his birth this was the ultimate display of God's presence. See, we were separated from God for so long that we had to have us, the sacrifice, cattle, lamb, whatever it was, dove, God. And that separation was not, God was not okay with that. See, he is a God of love and a God of relationship and that separation between us, animal, creator, wasn't good enough. So he went, stepped down from heaven, and in the form of a baby, on that beautiful, beautiful night, with a host of angels, God's presence was made known in the flesh to us in the form of a baby. As he grew older and began to teach and go to the synagogue, we see that he ultimately is uh, baptized by a cousin. I got a lot of cousins here today. It's good stuff. I'd love to be baptized by one of them. Grandpa beat you to it, y'all. Sorry. <laughs> um, and as he's being baptized, the dove landing on him to show the presence of the Lord after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling upon him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. When Jesus is baptized and his ministry begins, God demonstrates the mantle or the, or the thumbprint or the this is my Son by being present. He doesn't just say it. That's the fascinating thing to me. That would be enough. I think if God showed up and was like, this is my son and who am I well pleased, we'd all be like, got it. 
But instead, he manifests his presence as the spirit comes down, he shows, and that spirit rests on him, I am with you. We also see as he goes through with Mary of Magdalene, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening, take a note of that, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these things and all these details. I'm going to read that again. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. We see a dichotomy in sisters here, and it's important to note that when we're worried and we're upset and we've got a lot of details going on, the one thing that will not be taken away from you is the presence. Sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to what he has to say, both. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Sitting at the feet of Jesus doesn't mean the details go away. It doesn't mean that the activity, I promise you that, but we do need to stop and say, Lord, be with me, because when you're present, those things will take care of themselves. So then we, let's fast forward a little bit, and they're talking about their brother, Lazarus. Lazarus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. And when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, okay, Lord, if you only had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha said he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Martha says, Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, I am here, and I'm going to resurrect. When we catch that, that is going to change our perspective on everything. Martha said, where's the magic? Had you been here, you could have performed one of your tricks. And Jesus said, I am here, and because I'm here, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come out. The presence will take care of all of the details. It'll take care of the worry. It'll take care of the problems. It'll take care of the anxiety. It'll take care of everything that you're doing when you have the presence, but it comes after the presence. Jesus was away, and when he came, Martha said, if you'd been here, you could have just bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, and it wouldn't have happened. And Jesus says, no, I am here, therefore come forth. The miracles, everything that we're looking for, will follow the presence. And at the end, 
we have our Savior on a cross. And this is the moment that we all need to be thankful for. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, there are a lot of people in this room who could help introduce you to him. But as Jesus is on the cross, he's, the point we're going to pick up in the story is he's, he's hanging there. And if you will imagine for me, with me, his arms outstretched, the nails in his wrists, and the Romans were uh, brilliantly cruel. See, in crucifixion, they would never, it wasn't the blood loss or it wasn't anything um, that killed them from blunt force trauma. It was suffocation. And there are seven things, the number of completion, there are seven things that Jesus said on the cross. At our church, our pastor just went through them, called, called it gold from Golgotha. It was so good. But if we look, the red letters, while Jesus was on the cross, he said seven things. At the midpoint, he announces, Eloi, Eloi, laba sabachthani, which translated said, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? And what that means is not, why have you, it means why have you left me? Why have you abandoned me? And that presence had left Jesus at that time. So we have seen his entire life, Jesus is there in that moment, all man and all God, but then in one moment, the spirit leaves Jesus and now he's just all man. And that moment, that's the one that broke Jesus. It's the fourth thing that he said. He said three things, and then the spirit left him, and then he says three more things. And if you look at the balance, he goes from God to sacrificial lamb all in one moment. And when the presence left, the sin came in and he paid the price for all of us, for all of time. That moment, that leaving of the presence was what broke Jesus. And it's so incredibly amazing to see after he goes to, you know, goes down, takes the keys of sin and grave from the enemy and comes back, we see him in his uh, resurrection and in his salvation. He comes back and he is ready to give that life and give that salvation back to us and back away. He wants to be present. He wants to always be with us forever and such that he died and rose again. Please understand that, and this is critical, hell was not created for sinners. I'm going to say that again. Hell was not created for sinners. Hell was created as a punishment for our enemy. And we get to choose whether we are going to be a part of the salvation or not. And it's a free gift. It's extremely easy to have. But hell was not created for sinners. And what hell is, is literally a separation from God for all of eternity. God created us in his, in his creation, in his, in his relationship with us. And the, the worst punishment that we could possibly imagine is an eternity separated from him. Okay? 
But instead, the free gift that he gives us allows us to be with him for all eternity in his presence, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At his death, the temple veil tore. And if you know anything about the temple veil, it's approximately 60 feet long, 30 feet wide, and an inch thick. Has anybody ever been ripping a rag, like a thin shirt, and it's like extremely hard, and you feel like you need to go to the gym more? because it's like this tiny, this thing was an inch thick, okay? And when Jesus died, the, the, let me back up for a second. The, the reason that that um, curtain was there was because it protected everyone outside to go into the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God was. And unless you were clean and you, if you went in, you would die. So that curtain was there so that you wouldn't like fall into the Holy of Holies or whatever might happen and end up dying on accident. It was the separation from the presence. And when you were clean and you had made that sacrifice and you walked in, then you would be in the presence of the Lord. But when Jesus died, the moment that he died, during Yom Kippur, one of the feasts, that veil, that curtain, tore, ripped, and the presence of the Lord rushed out into our everyday. I want to be with you so much so that I will send my son, he will die, and the moment that I can, I'm rushing out, and I'm just going to tear whatever is in my way wide open. I want to be with you. By his stripes, we are healed. That veil tore the same way that Jesus' flesh tore. And it's in his presence that we are healed. It's in his presence that our businesses become whole. It's in our presence that our marriages become whole, that our children return. If we will just find the time to be in his presence, all these things will come together. It's not magic. It's just his presence. But you cannot, I'm not going to leave you today with just the idea that you need to be. I want to tell you how. So the first thing is, we cannot conjure the presence of the Lord. Be careful in our desire and our efforts to, be, to find the presence of the Lord, that we don't think that that's a spell too, that we somehow have to magically conjure the presence of the Lord. He is here, and he will enter your heart and your life through the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be, when, when you are in the presence of the Lord, you will know it. We were over here earlier, and you could just feel it. It was palpable today. Wasn't that worship good? Amen? That's, but that's what worship will do, is it will lead you into that presence. So you, it's not something that you can magically create or formulate. It is something, though, that you can have through three things. And you can write these down. Through our thoughts through our words, and through our deeds. Through our thoughts. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. When our thoughts are of these things, then the Lord can be in that presence. He can be with us. And when our thoughts are thinking those things, That's what will get us into the place that we recognize the presence of the Lord, and that will lead to the victory. In our words, listen actively while speaking the word. 
when Jesus was tempted in the desert, what he did was he quoted scripture back as the answer to the temptation to the enemy. And it's so important that we speak the word. It's good to read it, but we need to speak it. We need to get it out. We need to, and when we do that, we hear ourselves say it. And faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word. And that when, even when we're alone and we say it and we're speaking that word, we're hearing it. And that's going to build our faith. And it's those things that will build up. And that is the presence of the, that's, that's why the Lord gave, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. That word is the very, that, that is the, one of the manifestations of, of, of God in our lives. And that will bring his presence when we're speaking his word. And if you, if you don't know scripture, please get involved in, in some kind of, of a Bible study, a small group, whatever, whatever you have available to you. Or just do what the angels in heaven do as they surround the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's it. It's not complicated. And it's not a spell. Just holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy. And all of a sudden, you will find that you have been in his presence all along, but your mind is clear. The worry's gone. The details are, are dull. They're away. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Sitting at his feet, listening to what he has to say. And that presence, all of a sudden, everything else starts becoming a little, little faded. And lastly, our deeds we find that even Jesus gave us the formula for this. Be alone, be amongst friends, and be amongst the crowds. Scripture says in Mark 1.35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Take that time to just be by yourself and to be alone. Speak that scripture. Read that scripture. Whatever, listen to it on the, I listen to mine when I'm driving because I drive a lot. Put it on whatever you got to do. Just be alone and be in the presence. Be amongst friends. Jesus spent his time amongst 12 of his buddies. A quick story, and then we'll wrap up. I think it's absolutely hysterical how Jesus handled his friends. So he has, um, he's, he's died and he's resurrected, and as he comes together, or as, as he comes back, his, a couple of his disciples are walking down the path. And Jesus, I'm going to read this here. The same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking in the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So let me get this straight. His followers, who are devastated, Jesus raises and he goes and walks with them. That's the first thing he does. Goes and be present. So he's walking with them, but God like masks. He doesn't, they don't recognize him. And he asks, what are you guys discussing? So intently as you walk. And they stop short, sadness written across their faces. And one of them said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened there in the last few days. Really? What things? 
I've got this out of the Bible. He asked, what things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man of Nazareth, they said. And as they sat down and he took bread and blessed it, then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him at that moment. He disappeared. He didn't hang out. He didn't talk more. He vanished. I think Jesus was having so much fun at this moment that he was playing pranks on his buddies after his resurrection. He's like, so what are you guys talking about? I'm like, you didn't hear. Messiah died. Hmm. Sits down, has a meal. They're like, Jesus? And he's like, ha, gone. Like, he's goof. Literally, in my opinion, reading the scripture, Jesus is goofing off. Another one, so his disciples were gathered, and just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing in the room there. Peace be with you, he said, but the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. I don't think I'm reading this right. The words are, peace be with you. I don't think Jesus came in and was like, peace be with you. I think he was like, don't be scared. And his disciples were like, terrified, because it says they startled and frightened. And then they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder, and they asked him, do you have anything to eat around here? So he scares them. They finally calm down. They're laughing, hugging his neck. He's like, what do we have to eat? They're like, you just came back from the dead. I'm starving. I bring this up to say this. The presence of God is also fun. We need to be reverent. We need to be respectful. But we need to have fun with our Jesus. Amen? Amen. We need to have fun. He's going to have a good time. Heaven's going to be amazing. But have you ever been around somebody who's always just kind of a stick in the mud? You want, you're, you can, he's like, be like a, that guy, like that one kid, and you're like, you know, like, well, yeah, you're part of our crew. That's not, he's, he's, he wants to laugh with you. He wants to goof off. He wants to play pranks. He wants to scare you, think he's a ghost. He wants to disappear. He wants to see, hey, you guys want to get something to eat? That's a total dude thing to do. What, are you hungry? Being in his presence can be fun. Sometimes we do need to sit at his feet and listen and get the anointing. And sometimes we just need to laugh with Jesus. Amen? And lastly, so be alone. Be with your friends. And last, last of all, be amongst the crowd. Raise your hand if you're in church today. Amen. Good. Be amongst the crowds. Jesus went out and he ministered. Be in a small group. Be in, be in church. Be in, go serve. Go, we got the conference coming up on Wednesday. We need some volunteers. Just go do it. Why? Because you're just amongst the people. You're present. And where two or more are gathered in my name, there will I be in their midst. Amen? Amen. Thank you guys so much today for spending a few minutes with me. What I'd like to do is close in prayer. And we're just going to take a quick moment, just be real quiet. And I just want to let just everyone take a minute. Phones, if you can set them on your, your, your seat so they're not vibrating and you don't have any realization that anything else is going on. I just want you to breathe and be in the presence of the Lord together with your friends and your family and people that love you and would do anything for you. We're just going to pray and we'll close out for this afternoon.
Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that from the beginning of scripture to today, you just want to be with us. We thank you for quietness. We thank you for laughter. We thank you for those around us, the friends and the family. We thank you for your presence. Father God, the next time we are tempted to pray for magic, the next time we're tempted to pray for a transaction, I pray that we'll take that moment and turn it into a moment of presence. The next time we want to see the problem go away by magic, we stop and we just ask you face to face, what would you have us do? Provide healing, provide economics, provide wisdom to everyone in this room as they spend time talking with you and being with you. And Heavenly Father, one day when we're all together in eternity, I will ask, I ask that we will look over at one, each, each other and smile knowing that we spent our life being with you and now we just recognize that forever we're going to be with you. And if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, you give two simple instructions. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised you from the dead. It's so easy. And that moment, you will enter into our hearts. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to say a quick prayer. I would like everybody to repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and you are raised from the dead. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.